0: Miranda, for question and answer period. We have a mic here up at the front if people have some questions. And welcome back. Hi.
1: Hi, my name is Henning Mundl, and uh, I really appreciate the data you provided us. I wonder if you can go a bit more into an aspect of a little word in there. You have all these numbers which you were given by the different police departments. um, How to differentiate with the issuing of a street check form and the arbitrariness. You have arbitrary right in your definition of carding. How do you differentiate with an arbitrary giving and a stop and issuing a form? How is that differentiated?
2: All right. So what we're talking about here is that when people are stopped in public, the police officer isn't gonna hand them a form to fill out. So the police officer will talk to them like, you know, hello, who are you, what are you doing? Um, You know, is this your car? Whatever it is they're saying. So what we believe, and the police are probably gonna disagree with me on this, is that detention occurs in two different ways. So detention occurs in both a psychological way and a physical way. So let's say you are a 15 year old kid, you're wandering around, maybe a 20-year-old kid, maybe a 70-year-old man, you're by yourself, and two police officers come up to you and start asking you who you are, or what are you doing. Whether or not you feel detained in that moment is going to depend on who you are as a person, how the officers act towards you in terms of their physicality, their attitude, their tone, what you've experienced in your own life in terms of your interactions with the police, and quite simply, the way in which you view the police. So that individual might feel differently about that moment. But there are people who in that moment are going to feel that they are detained. Psychologically, they feel, I am detained, I am held, I can't leave. Or if I start running, they're going to chase me down and beat me. If I start talking back, they're going to throw me in the drunk tank. That's one of the things that people talk to me all the time about that if they don't cooperate, they're going to get drunk-tanked, and they don't want that to happen to them. They've got, you know, stuff to do. So in that moment, what we're talking about is whether or not someone feels detained. Uh, the Medicine Hat Police put a report together in 2015 about this issue, and it's really hard according to them, to draft these hard and fast rules about detention. Because it will depend on the circumstances, and it will depend on that particular person. And no circumstances and people are the same. And, you know, some days someone might feel in a certain way, some days they might feel in a different kind of a way. So, in that moment, that person is being detained. So, the important thing to understand is that person done nothing wrong. They're a person in public who was, you know, maybe using a park or a sidewalk. So, they're not being investigated for a crime. They haven't committed a crime. They're just wandering around and they cannot leave. They feel psychologically held there. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about detention. The police have chosen or unwittingly chosen to detain that person in that moment to fill out the card. Um, There's a lot of issues about cards in general. I do show the form because that's what the police gave us. And I do talk about carding as the police have defined it in this way in Lethbridge where two police officers stop someone and fill out the card. But I've spoken to a lot of people, and I've actually spoken to some people who used to be police officers, and they all tell me this isn't how it works in every situation. Sometimes a lone officer is out there. Sometimes there's no card being filled out. A lot of people talk to me about that. They say, all right, that man was just writing stuff down in a notebook. There was no card. I saw no card. Where is the card? And I'm like, well... I don't know, you, we can do a fight request and we can try and find it for you. That's, that's all I can offer you. So, in terms of arbitrary attention, we're talking about that moment where that person feels they cannot leave, and that they are held there, and that if they were to leave, they might be arrested, they might be assaulted, something negative is going to happen to them. So they are detained. What we believe in Canada is that people, based on their charter rights, should not be detained without cause. That person has done nothing wrong, they should not be made to feel psychologically held there in terms of our youth, sometimes I talk to young people and they are, are out, out in the park and four or five police officers are coming up to them, they feel, phys- they feel physically detained and psychologically detained because they're scared of these people. And so it's those two aspects of detention. And I, I'll admit that the psychological issues are a little bit more complicated sometimes, but I think we can all kind of visualize, like, in that moment where, you know, going about our way, two police officers come up to us, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell them no? What, what we know from Medicine Hat is people aren't saying no. And if they're saying no because they think the police are their friends, they want to have a full conversation, or are they're saying, they're refusing to say no because they are themselves afraid of what's going to happen, or that they don't know that they can leave. Um, Calgary police actually, in their recommendations, say that in all these carding situations, the police should initiate by saying you are free to go, and that you don't have to be part of this process there will be no negative consequences. And actually in the Medicine Hat recommendation something very similar comes up. But we know this isn't actually being implemented, at least in Calgary. I'm not too certain about Medicine Hat, but we know it doesn't happen here in Lethbridge. There is no requirement for the police to tell anyone, you know, you're free to go, you don't have to interact with me. And I think that's something that we should be bringing to this.
3: Uh, My name is Alvin Shire. Uh, uh, You say, uh, you just said that uh, when a police officer uh, uh, inve- is investigating somebody that no crime has been committed. I think that's a pretty bold statement. Uh, uh, you don't know uh, uh, in any particular instance uh, if a police officer has any reasonable expectation uh, or uh, indication that a crime has been committed. So uh, I, I think uh, that's pretty bold. But I, I, would, I would ask you, uh, uh, what do you think should replace Cardi? Uh, When we, uh, police are, uh, you know, you talk about carding uh, people. Uh, Police officers are being carded themselves. Um, uh, You know, a a police officer uh, in the field uh, doing his work is being observed. He's being recorded. uh, He's he's being judged. Uh, His work is very, very tough. And I'm just, my question to you, Miranda, is... What do you feel should replace carding? Uh, I look at uh, the so-called carding as an investigative tool. Uh, and uh, so th- the question is, wh- What do you know, we're just going to throw this all out? Or are we just going to wait until, are we going to make uh, policemen into uh, janitors where they just attend the scene of crimes and just sweep things up? Uh, how do you propose to replace carding?
2: there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about. So the first thing I want to talk about is that carding, at least the way I view carding, and the view that other activists like me have of carding, is that carding isn't actually part of an investigation. So if you are a police officer and you're investigating a crime, and you're following a lead, and you question someone as part of that, that's something entirely different than what we view as carding. Carding, I know that Chief Davis came here and talked about... I believe a park or the industrial district or something, and said that if there's been a lot of prowling and you see someone at night, it's good policing to go up and talk to them. I don't view that as the same thing at all. In terms of what we're talking about here, we're talking about people who are being stopped. They're not suspected of any crime and asked to provide information. I don't view that as being part of investigation. Because if they were to ask the police, what's this all about? Am I being charged? The police would say no. And that sort of ends that for me. And when I look at my disclosure on files, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, I have run the largest criminal defense law firm in town, I don't see carding leading to any of my clients getting arrested. It's never happened to me in five years. And I talk to other criminal defense lawyers who've been doing this longer than me, and they tell me, well, you know, if there was a carding incident, we'd do a charter challenge, we get the evidence thrown out. That never happens, because this is not you know, the way people get charged with offenses. Okay. Um, Uh, I just want to go back to your question. In terms of what should replace carding, I think the police should talk to people. I think they should go up to people and say, hello, how are you doing? I think that the police should engage with the public. I think the police should certainly talk to our young people, talk to our, our racialized communities, but I think they can also tell them, you're free to go, you don't have to talk to me, it's all good, you're safe. And I I don't see what's wrong with any of that. And I think what we're seeing in Ontario, where carding has dropped substantially, is that the police are still talking to people. The police engage in a practice that basically is carding, where on certain circumstances, they have this interaction, the person gets a receipt, they can look into it, they can make a human rights complaint, they can do whatever they feel like doing. But the policing business hasn't stopped. We haven't fired all the police officers and given them new tasks. And that's all we're asking for right now. We're asking for a, a little bit of information to be given to people that they don't have to participate if they don't want to. And we're asking right now for a receipt to be given to these people so they can give it to their moms, their support workers, whoever it is, and those people can look into it.
1: Okay. Hi. Just uh, to be transparent and clear, spent 45 years in law enforcement, 25 in the Mounties. I'm retired. I'm not here to defend carding by any stretch of the imagination. One of the things that, when I see that, that form that you have that's filled out, and I can totally understand how that doesn't get done very often, and it isn't signed and all that, but you are aware, I, I hope, that any one of those cards that had been filled out, I would almost guarantee you, prior to that being filled out, there had been a CPIC check done, there is a record of that check on a computer, and it can be, it can't be just accessed willy-nilly, but it can be accessed if they, if they choose to. So uh, I guess my question is, and I think you've answered on with one of the other, two of the other questions. My question was going to be, are you just talking about the, that actual card being filled out, or are you you're more inclined to tr- talking about stopping the street checks altogether? But I think you've answered that. Uh,
2: I understand there's that confusion there and part of the confusion is we're going with both what the police tell us is what they're doing as part of these street checks and we're also going by what people are telling us about what is actually happening i think basically we want this process to stop if someone is out in a public place and a police officer wants to come up to them and say hello who are you i think they should follow that with hello who are you you're not required to answer and you can walk away and i don't see anything wrong with that and it's something that to be honest with you, the police in certain jurisdictions aren't seeing anything wrong with either. It is the recommendation that came out of Medicine Hat's 2015 review on carding, which we'll be making accessible as soon as we can. And it also is what came out of uh, the Rocky Mountain uh, Civil Liberties uh, FOIP request into carding in Calgary that this be done. And it's something that's happening right now in other cities, and it's not really impeding anything. It's an extra second of everybody's time to say that. I would like to see carding largely stopped. Uh, what we're seeing in Lethbridge is a decrease in the number of cards. There isn't really a decrease in the number of charges, but there's so few charges to begin with, it's hard to say you know, like we're at 30 right now from last year, that carding ever really had any real purpose. Uh, The issue I have really with the cards not being filled out, and the beats not actually being written on them, largely is because I don't see what, even if you ignore all the racial elements, you ignore the charter elements, what is the point of this? Is 45% of Uh, Of officers can't be bothered to sign them. Does this matter to anyone? Do the officers out on the street doing the carding, do they think this matters? Because if they thought it matters, wouldn't they sign the cards? And if it mattered, wouldn't someone be yelling at them to sign the the cards? In Medicine Hat, there actually is an internal process uh, with a civilian where they actually will contact the officer and say, you filled out this card, why did you fill out this card? What was the purpose of this card? Why is it not filled up correctly? But nothing like that seems to be happening in Lethbridge. And I think there are some really interesting questions about why 45% of our cards here in Lethbridge are not being filled out. And you know, if the police are aware this is going on, why didn't they stop this or make changes a couple of years ago to increase accountability? And I, I am interested in hearing from what you know, the officers who are actually doing the carding have to think about carding. Like, do they see value in this somewhere?
0: Hi, my name is Lisa Lambert. I'm one of the parents that came to you and said, my child is being stopped on the street. I don't understand what to do. So I want to, um, first of all, address the question, uh, two questions ago, the, before Mike, I missed his name. I didn't card him. Um, so I, <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's underlying that question um, and is, what did my child do wrong? What, what was he doing that got him stopped? I want to be very, very clear. My children, from the time they were 16 years of age, have been stopped on the street for being on the street while black. That is why they were stopped. Every single person that I told initially what had happened to them said to me, well, what were they doing? That's the racism. That's where we have to stop, right there. That thought that you have, that momentary thought that my son was doing something at age 16, standing beside a car, walking down the street, any of that. No, none of it, zilch. We have to address that. Miranda was the first person that I told who said, tell me more, and who didn't say, what was he doing to get stopped by the police? And I wanna thank you and I wanna recognize you for that. That was really significant to me personally. The second thing you did was you said, we need to do something about this And at great expense to your law firm, (laughs) (laughs) at great expense, you did not address that, how much this has cost you to do these FOIP requests. At great expense to your law firm, at great cost to you, and a great deal of time, you have spearheaded this across the province, raised it provincially and nationally, made a huge difference in my family, in the families of many other racialized people here, and I want to address how important that has been, and thank you for that. So maybe you want to just, maybe my question is, how much does this cost you, Miranda? <laughs> uh,
2: I, and To address one of the things I like to bring up a lot is that Lisa did actually ask me twice before I actually I, you know, went around to doing anything. And it's one of the things that just sort of haunt me to some extent, that someone came to me and said that a child needed help. I said, well, you go do this. And as I myself, I have, um, I have a two-year-old. Um, Uh, he was about a month old when my husband did his SACPOD lecture, that's why I wasn't here. (laughs) Um, And my child, you know, is partially white, he's partially South Asian, and we look at our children and we wonder what kind of a world we're creating for our children, and we wonder, like, if my child is lost or in need of help, is he going to feel safe going to a police officer? Is he going to feel safe when a police officer talks to him? Is he going to run when a police officer approaches him? And I think that it, these are the questions that we wonder as parents about where things are going to be. And if we don't take a stand right now for our children, like, things are not going to get any better. And I think we've seen example after example of things getting worse for young people of color, particularly boys. And I think this is very central to a lot of women who, especially white women, have come up to talk to me about their children who aren't white or who don't appear to be white. And they're frightened that their children will say the wrong thing, that their children will get very hostile, that maybe their child, you know, is having a bad day and things are going to spiral out of control and get to a point where we're not going to be coming back from it. And I think that's really important for people to understand that when people are talking about carding, we are talking about the safety of our children and the respect that our community has for our children. And it's a very personal and it's a very difficult thing sometimes to share because it's it's hard when we have something like this. I remember waiting basically to hear back from other lawyers because I thought other people would help me with this. And we didn't get very far with other lawyers I didn't get very far with the civil uh, research group um, from one of the law schools, actually, either. And it took a lot to get this moving. And I didn't see the support I thought I should be seeing, basically, from our legal community. I didn't see the support from other lawyers in other cities. I think that a lot of great work can be done in Calgary, and Edmonton, if the legal community, and Medicine Hat in particular, we didn't do anything in Medicine Hat, because they have their own lawyers. And finally, it reached a point where we filed our own FOIP request to see what was going on. And we'll be expanding that, I think, to Grand Prairie and Red Deer. And it's it's work, basically. And it's work that I think is very necessary and has to be done. And it's reached a point where it simply has to be done, whether it's me or... The, those really sweet kids up in Edmonton who are making those memes like someone is going to be doing it and thank you for that Lisa um, Hi I'm
0: Kate we'll take these last three uh, here um,
4: I have never been carded I want to tell you that they don't seem to card grey people <laughs> but I I um, agree with Lisa you know we have to do something about this um racism in our community. (laughs) She's got me all choked up. (laughs) Um, Anyway, my question is, do you know if anyone has approached City Council for Aboriginal representation on the police commission?
2: Um, I don't want to get too into it because someone did talk to me a bit about that. So the way our police commission is currently created they People apply. I think the application process largely is in September, but they do accept when there's vacancies. So I applied, for example, a couple of years ago, and they do interviews, and you kind of list your top three choices for commissions, and they put you on something. And they put me, at that time, in subdivision development appeal board, which, which is the best use of my talents as a criminal defense lawyer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, so... I I don't necessarily know what more goes into it in terms of the people appointing people to commissions, but there is no designated space right now or real qualifications as to what they're looking for in their commissions. I think that City Council has the power basically to amend that and to create set space. I think if there was enough public outcry and support, I think we would probably see someone from either First Nations or Black communities being appointed to the police commission. I think also kind of importantly what we need to see happen basically is we need to see accountability for our police commission. It's a volunteer commission, just as I've been on three police, uh, not three um, police commissions, but three commissions in Lethbridge, Youth Advisory, Subdivision Development and Municipal Planning. And we need to see accountability for the people on these commissions as to what they were actually doing when carding became an issue, because carding has been an issue in this country for quite some time. Did no one ever think to ask any questions? So I think we need to be asking the people on this commission, what have you been doing? And we need to be reaching out to them and saying, we're disappointed that you were not apparently doing anything. And I think that is really meaningful in itself. I think people need to understand that when you get engaged with our municipal government, when you get these positions, they mean something, they matter and that we relied on these people to be advocating for our children, for our young people, for our marginalized people. And I don't necessarily know that that's what was taking place.
5: Bev mundell thank you very much. That was very informative. <clears throat> thank you for explaining this in such de- detail and from a legal perspective, and for giving some examples of how carding could actually be used in a way that it could be followed and quantified. But it seems to me that this is a way to do bullying and harassment through a racial perspective. So it's really racial, racism and bigotry. And I'm wondering how many other things are there in law or in our police services that allow people to be targeted for specific behaviors and i'm going to give you an, another example that i know of personally and that's another group people with uh, certain disabilities tend to get followed around grocery stores because they don't look like other shoppers but they're legitimate shoppers but just because of the way they act they are followed so we've you know we've been able to name sexual abuse, physical abuse, various violence. So what is there a name for this kind of abuse other than under the rubric of police harassment and police abuse? Is there another name for this carding type of abuse that is racially motivated?
2: There's um, so a couple of really important things that you talked about there. One of the things we see in Toronto, actually, are the number of stories from people in our deaf community who are walking down the street and the police are like, hey, stop, who are you? And then they don't respond and then boom. And we hear these horrible stories of people, particularly seniors who have hearing issues or other, like sometimes they language barriers and they can't respond to carding in, in the way that the police are expecting them to. And I think that there are a lot of groups that have been in some really good advocacy in terms of that. Um, I had a lot of questions, honestly, about carding. One of the things that people have asked me about carding is what it means for our LGBTQ community, for example, what it means for our sex worker population, what it means for individuals with visible and non visible disabilities. And I don't really have answers that are the answers that I wish I had. It's harder to quantify some of these things, and I don't necessarily know if the police themselves are really keeping records of some of these interactions. Um, I'm hopeful that some good will come out of the province-wide consultation <coughs> process, and that some groups that haven't been heard on carding, because their issues with the police aren't racial, they're regarding these other categories, will be speaking up about them, and that we'll be able to understand, and understand how to study and to move forward. Um, it was really easy in a lot of ways, not in a lot of ways, but in some ways, at least, to quantify things like race, things like age, things like, um, uh, things like gender. But it's harder to quantify some of these other categories because the police themselves aren't necessarily keeping records, because they might not even be aware of what's going on. As you can see from our data, we're struggling sometimes even to deal with race-based data because the words we're using and the words the police are using aren't the same and we don't actually understand what the police words mean in one of itself. And there's no sort of definitions. And I don't even know that the police have definitions of some of these words. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done moving forward. I think when we talk about our police commission, we shouldn't just be looking for First Nations and possibly black representation on our police commission. We should be looking for people that represent some of our other communities that might be feeling that they're not being understood or properly um, addressed by the police. and I think there's a lot of discussion that needs to come from that and I think we can be hopeful that perhaps City Council will do something like that. It's a little difficult now that the election is over in terms of our expectations of what actually is going to happen. Um, but I, I remain hopeful that we'll see some real reform on our police commission I know that in Northern Ontario there's been a lot of talk about designating space towards people and no one has actually, as far as I can tell in any of our cities in Canada actually done it and it would be, I think it would be really consistent with our principles of reconciliation and our policies of Lethbridge being a welcoming and inclusive city to see some of this movement I'd love to see Reconciliation Lethbridge get involved I would love to someday see CMARD get involved I, I'm waiting for CMARD um, but one of these days, I think we'll all come to the table and move this in the directions it needs to be going in. Can
0: you just say what CMR is for the people that don't
2: understand is? Coalition of Municipalities against racism. Yeah. against racism and Discrimination. There we go. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Douglas Mitchell. I just want to follow up on a lot of things that have been said. And finally, uh, the question of racism has come up and been uh, brought to light and we've been indicted previously in the paper as you know as being one of the uh, most racist cities in in the country and uh, so some of this uh, maybe must be true and what are we going to do about it it's what we're going to do about it and uh, we've just recently elected a new council and I think and that's been mentioned as well it's essential that we do our bit to try to persuade these people this is a key issue in this municipality to deal with, and that's all I really want to say, I could elaborate some more, but that's what I say, there are things we can do, the fact that we've got no representation of an indigenous community on council or in the police commission or anything else, so I think I would just like to endorse that and say there are things that we as individuals can do.
2: Um, sometimes what I tell people about representation is that it it's something that's accessible in the sense that people can apply and there are spaces for them. So when I moved to Lethbridge, I think within a couple of months, I was on the Youth Advisory Committee, which is a great starting point. If some of you who are working with young people, particularly racialized minorities, particularly girls, we need to see more girls on the Youth Advisory Council. Um, it's a really great place for them and it's a good stepping stone. And sometimes uh, I joke with some of the, uh, Roy, for example, used to come to our meetings and Diane Randall before she retired. And sometimes I tell him, like, look, I've caused all this mayhem. And it's all because of you guys feeding me lunch once a month. Look look where where we come from here. And I look at some of the things the other young people on that commission are now up to, you know, across Canada. We're doing great work. We're doing important work. And it all starts with empowering some of our young people and telling them, you know, have the confidence to apply. There's almost always space on youth advisory. If you know a young person, I think the cutoff is 23 or 24, and you think they might be interested, push them in this direction and there's mentorship and all kinds of amazing opportunities to travel and meet other young people that are part of it. And moving up from there, we need to see more representation on our boards. Um, I feel a little lonely sometimes. I don't see people like me on our boards. I think sometimes people feel that they're just not going to get on. I encourage everyone to look for boards that you find interesting, to look for opportunities. And if you are not able to be involved, to reach out to them and talk to them. I remember one of my boards moved to a time that didn't work with my childcare. And, you know, I talked to the people involved in that and we made things happen. And I think that we need to be really asking the people in our lives, go to people and ask them, you know, you seem interesting, or talk to people like Martin, for example, and say, we need to hear your, your viewpoint. Why don't you apply for some of these boards? And some of our other, we had a Métis candidate as well for City Council, why would we, two actually. We should be asking these people, why don't you apply for our boards instead, and then maybe do another run at City Council later, but we need your voice now, and we need your voice in City Hall, and this is a way to get you there.
6: Uh, Ken Sears, and it's been a very long time since I was stopped and carded, but it did used to happen, um, for I think in some ways obvious reasons. But I was white, I was male, I was educated, and most important, I knew the right names. I knew the names to mention when I got stopped. I could say, let's go down and talk to Frank Bathgate, who was the sergeant. You know, I could uh, I could say, let's talk to Judge Jacobson. I knew the right names, and so that's just an observation and a background. But it looks, to, in many ways, it seems to me that what we have here is we're talking about social control. We're not talking about crime. As far as dealing with crime, carding is lazy police work. It doesn't really produce much, but you stop and talk to somebody. But when I I can remember really clearly, even with my advantages, that what I was doing when I was standing there talking to some cop, I was talking to an anonymous uniform. He had my name, I didn't have his. And that is a huge psychological advantage. That is a way of saying, we know you, you don't know us. And that I think is one of the most damaging things that comes out of carding. And it would seem to me that even if we did something as simple as saying, if a police officer stops somebody, they have to, not optional, they have to give you their card with their name on it. Because at that point then you have some sort of control over your end of the of the discourse. And I'd like to see you respond to that, please.
2: I basically would like to see a way for people to find out more about what is happening to them. Because it's one of the things that comes out of this discussion over and over again when i talk to people carding is a is a little complicated and i was hesitant to get involved simply because i'm not black or first nations and i think there's something very important in giving people the tools they need to combat racism that they are experiencing and uh, i i would say i've certainly dealt with racism in my life carding is an issue for people of my background in other cities like toronto it's not an issue for me here i've never been carded in lethbridge and the police of They know who I am and they've always been very nice to me and very nice to my son. Um, Elsewhere there might be issues, but I I don't have issues here in Lethbridge. I think it's very important for a person in a carding situation to have something, to have a record of that interaction, to feel that there is a step they can take and for them to be able to process that. Sometimes we deal with people who are going to need other people to help them along. And giving them anything at all, a card, giving them a receipt giving them anything else that the police could just to document that that interaction took place gives them something that they can then take further. They can think about it and decide, maybe I'll go to Lethbridge Legal Guidance and see if they can tell me more. Maybe I can go to City Hall and see if that can take that further. Maybe they take it home and their mom says, what's that? And they say, well, the police stopped me and gave me this piece of paper, and their mom can look into it. I think that we need to see that happening. And I think that we'd have an easier time in terms of understanding carding and understanding what is happening to people when they're being carded if we had this sort of paper trail going on. Um, the receipts have been effective in Toronto. People seem happy to be getting them. It, it does seem to some extent to have decreased the number of people being carded. They're... Not very many carding interactions compared to what there used to be in Toronto. and I think a lot of that has to do with the accountability that comes with documenting things. And When we look at 45% of cards unsigned, where is the accountability in that? Where is the accountability of anyone? The cop who was involved in the street check, the cop's partner because there were two people involved, whoever is supervising and logging this data, in our police commission, where at any stage has the accountability gone? And there are so many levels where the accountability has failed, basically. And giving people these receipts, I think, would do a lot to get us back to a place where people are being held accountable for these interactions.
0: So um, just to wrap things up, you've mentioned that you're going to be, there's going to be some more information coming down the line once it's being released. Where would they go to continue to follow up on the progress or more discussion about this, Miranda?
2: Um, so the most recent piece of information we have is on Saturday we received basically a chart in terms of the carding that's been going on in Medicine Hat. And more interesting than that, we received a report of their own analysis in 2015 of the carding process. So I do have that document. Um, I normally would just thrown it up on Facebook, but they don't take PDFs. So it should be up on my website, I would imagine, sometime tomorrow. We do anticipate another of, a number of other groups will be responding to it. Um, Progress Alberta has it. Black Lives Matter Edmonton has it as well. And I believe it's also been provided to some Indigenous groups in Medicine Hat. Um, I'm hopeful that it will be online relatively soon. If nothing else, I believe we'll be providing it to the media relatively soon as well. So I'd imagine by the end of the week, if you search for it, it'll pop up. The other thing is this data is from the Medicine Hat Police. You're welcome to always just call them and say, can you email me that report you guys did in 2015 about carding? And there's no reason they shouldn't just send it over to you. It's already been released to me. Um, We will be doing some more detailed questioning and returns to that document and some of the other materials we pr- were provided with the medicine hat. And I do anticipate we will be following up with some of our other major cities, Red Deer and Grand Prairie are the two that we're thinking of looking into next because they haven't really been addressed at this point. And your website is? That you um, so my law firm is Halati Rouleau. If you look up Laddie Rouleau, the report should be up there later today. I know on the... On my firm's Facebook page, the, the carding data for Medicine Hat, just the chart is up right now. In terms of the other data, the Lethbridge data, the Medicine Hat data, and the calorie data, that's all available online. I would probably just go to Progress Alberta. They have a heading there saying Stop Carting, and all that information is available on their website. In particular, the Edmonton data is very well displayed. Lethbridge, uh, we didn't do as good a job, but Edmonton's data looks great. It's very clear, and it comes in this incredible amount of detail. Uh, Rocky Mountain Civil Liberties in Calgary did a really amazing report about the struggle to get data. And I think it's something that people should read just to understand what we're up against to try to get information from police forces that is vital and that it's important to our communities. And that data sh- um, was very important and it still hasn't been received. And I think there's still a lot of work that our legal community does need to do in terms of getting that data because people should see it. I don't think carding should end without people seeing what was going on in Calgary in terms of carding.
0: Well, we thank you for coming out today. Thank you, everyone. We're Thank you.